Shane, welcome to On Call Dr. Dave. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> so I'm Dave. This is my wife, Ashley. Hi. Hey there. Shane, why don't you just start by telling us what you do and where you uh, where you work? Yeah, so right now I'm a director over several different departments. I, I'm the director over our emergency department in Alaska, and I've been here for about 16 and a half years. Um, I started out as a staff nurse and became the director, and then over the last 12 years that I've been a director, I picked up OB, and I ran that for eight and a half years. On top of the ER, picked up an infusion center, which has actually turned into an oncology practice with an infusion center, and that is still going. And I've got an urgent care and a clinical forensics department I run for the hospital as well. Wow. So it's safe to say you've seen it all. <laughs> I've seen a lot. Now, so. you have the unique experience of living in one of the, you know, the last frontier, Alaska. So it's... <laughs> You know, people talk about the Wild West, and I feel like that doesn't apply to most of the West anymore. The West is urbanized and everything. Yeah. You know, people don't really see wildlife or they see a fox or a coyote every once in a while. Like, oh, that's wildlife. But you, you're in Alaska. You see real wildlife. And before the podcast, we were talking. I'm curious if you've seen any specific animal attacks, bear, or moose, stuff like that. And you said you had, so I'd, I'd love to hear those stories. We can talk about whatever you, else you want to, but I really want to hear those moose and bear stories. <laughs> the moose and bear stories? <laughs> well, if you look at national news lately, the hospital I used to work at up in Anchorage is Providence. You know, it, they actually had a moose walk in their front door. Oh, I saw that. That was, yeah. I it saw was the plant. Yeah, that was, that's the hospital I started at up here. So, it, um, yeah, and that's not the first time that something like that has happened. There's another hospital up there, Alaska Regional, that they've had moose walk into their emergency department. They've had <laughs> into the lobby because they're automatic doors. Yeah. So there's a motion sensor. So, so some something walks up to the door and opens the door and, and walks the moose. <laughs> hey, there's plants. It's green. There's a lot of snow up here right now. I'm not eating very well. I'm going to go eat that plant, whether it's plastic or not. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they had to they had to chase that one out of the lobby up there. So, yeah, that that's Is terrifying, it? though, because I've been chased by a moose when I was on a mountain bike one time. <laughs> and being that close, you just don't appreciate how humongous those animals are until you're right up next to one. And they are just massive. I was on a mountain bike. I'm almost six feet tall. I'm on a mountain bike, so I'm tall. And this thing's yeah. still towering over me as it's trying to charge me down. One of the scariest experiences of my life. Where were you at? I was in Utah at the time. Oh, yeah. And those are the smallest moose. I didn't I didn't know they were the smallest. It seems humongous <laughs> to me. <laughs> ours, ours are another 25 to 50% bigger than those. Oh, my gosh. So, and they're all over the place, especially right now. They're all hungry because there's snow everywhere. But, oh, yeah, they, they could be very terrifying. You have you had people come in after moose attacks or after bear attacks? What does that look like? What are those patients' experiences? Yeah, so I I haven't physically taken care of moose attacks. I know we actually just had one in here at our hospital not that long ago, but there was one up in Anchorage where a guy got stomped by a moose and actually killed. That's been that's still up at Providence, I think. Then so oh I don't know, fifteen twenty years ago. Uh, yeah, 18 years ago, probably. But as far as bear attacks go, yeah, I've 
I've dealt with several of those. A matter of fact, we had one that ended up on the front page of the paper where me and the coworker were able to uh, admire our poor, poor skills at cutting hair <laughs> because we had to, the guy, you know, the individual was basically scalped mm-hmm. and um, he was out fishing as you do up here in Alaska out on the salmon stream. And he's fishing by himself, which is never the smartest idea when it's salmon season. And hadn't been catching anything, kind of back in the woods a little ways. And mind you, it's not very far from the road where he was, but it's far enough. I mean, you know, Anchorage has got bears all over town. There's, they at one point tracked nine different grizzly bears right off of a main thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. And so Soldatna's got them not at, well, we've got some in town as well. We've seen brown bears in town, but they're not as prevalent. But once you get out to the outer reaches, they are. Anyway, so he was not far off a road in the woods fishing, didn't catch a fish, heard something behind him, went back into the woods. And lo and behold, there's a bear that grabs a hold of him, you know, tears up his scalp. We could have used your skills, you know, <laughs> to, to sew him back together. But he basically got scalped, you know, and, and they, they talk about their head getting crunched on. And, you know, there's stories all over out there about people getting attacked by bears, but, and how eerie it sounds and, you know, kind of in disbelief and shock that the bears like grabbing your head and <laughs> kind of swinging. Luckily for him, it didn't really puncture anything. You know, like I said, it tore his scalp. He required a bunch of stitches, you know, in the ER, we, had to make sure to clean stuff up and he had a pretty good head of hair when he started. And so we're like, okay, well, we're going to start using our little, you know, the teeny tiny clippers that we have that are definitely not barbershop worthy nor beautician worthy, <laughs> you know, battery operated. You got to go through three or four blades to get the work done. And we had patches here and patches there and patches everywhere and ended up getting on the newspaper, you know, on the newspaper and they taking a picture and, well, we missed a spot there, missed a spot there, <laughs> you know, but most of it was cosmetic in his case. And, you know, he, he did well and uh, was able to get out pretty quick and, you know, it was a good outcome. Wow. And so just shaving just prior to suturing just to clean and to yeah. get things cleaned up. And then yeah, I think he's on antibiotics for a little bit because it is a bear attack and it is, you know, big lacerations. And so they, cleaned him out, you know, had to put his scalp back together. Um, so, but it is pretty, it's pretty eerie. You know, you, you walk around the woods out here and at least most of the time you can hear them. You know, it's not like in Texas where a snake's just going to reach up and bite you if you get too close to it. You have no idea where it came from or what it was, you know, or a scorpion in your shoe or something, you know, you can at least see our moose and our bears for the most part. They're, they're yeah. not too subtle. That's that's true. Our our copperheads like to like hide out, and then they bite you at the last second, or yeah. scorpions just get underfoot and then sting you. So yeah. you're right. Your your creatures at least make a little bit of noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, you're saying that somebody was involved in an attack at some point and then discharged their weapon accidentally. <laughs> so what was that about? Yeah. So uh, this is a really bad country song. This was, again, many, many moons ago, but uh, we got a call from somebody coming in that somebody had thought they had flash burns, you know, down the front of their pants because they're gone, their gun had gone off when they were trying to put it back in either the chest pocket or a holster on their chest or whatever. Why, and were they just target shooting or why did they have their... Oh, 
No, that that they had that was bear protection. Okay. And so that's how it started on my end. And then once the individual, you know, once the guy got to the ER, we started asking what happened. And um, you know, he shows up for triage and we bring him back to a room and what happened? He's like, Well, I think I've got flash burns, my gun went off, it did go through my waders. I'm like, Okay, well, you know, let's get you back in the room and check it out. Well, I'm like, So tell me the story, what happened today? Like What's going on? Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, it started this morning. I went to work. Everything was going okay. I got a good night's sleep. Got to work and saw the boss. And the boss is like, yeah, well, um, we're going to cut you loose. You know, so I'm firing you. You know, grab your stuff. Pack up. You know, get out type of a thing. And, you know, that sucks. You know, a lot of us have lost jobs, especially the last few years. So we, that's kind of a rough deal. He gets home and finds out, you know, kind of walks in on his girlfriend who's packing her bags and finds out that she's leaving him. Oh, and I don't know how long they had been together. Louise. Or it is. And uh, so, you know, he, that sucks even worse. He's like, well, screw it. I'm going to go fishing. And again, this is the height of salmon season. So he comes down <laughs> to the river that's fairly famous and he's fishing. Well, it gets it does get dark in the summer here. And especially if you have some rain and I think it had been raining that day. And so it was overcast and he's in the river fishing for salmon, you know, not a big deal. And here's this bear coming behind him. And it's very common for a lot of Alaskans to carry guns. You know, we, whether it's bear protection or human protection, either way, we pack a lot of guns. You see them everywhere. You know, it's not a secret. And there's a lot when you're fishing because they're worried about the bears. Well, yeah, he had a 357 in his pocket or in his holster. And he hears this noise behind him. And he's probably two, three, four feet out in the water. And the bear's up on the shore. And he turns around and there's bear. You know, it's a big old brown bear. And he pulls his gun out in case the bear charges him. And as is obvious, you're going to have an adrenaline rush. And the bear saw him and he saw the bear and the bear's like, I don't want anything to do with this. And the bear <laughs> took off. Well, in the middle of all this, you know, he's like shaking, adrenaline's pumping, going crazy. So he turns around and starts fishing again, you know, but he's got to put his gun away. And so I don't remember if it was a chest holster, if it was a chest holster or if waders typically have a pocket mm-hmm. that you can put stuff in that's on your chest. Well, he went to put it back in that. And in the process of reholstering or, you know, putting away his weapon, he pulled on the trigger and the oh. trigger was going and straight you know, down. The gun was pointing straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't really feel much. He knew he had shot something. Wasn't sure if it had hit anything. And that's what he presented to the ER. And he had self-medicated with, you know, some, some pills, and a little bit of alcohol on his way in probably more than anything to wean off the adrenaline and uh, wasn't really hurting him at all. And he's like, you know, I think they've just, and so now I enter the story at triage and bring him back and get him into a room. And he's like, you know, I, the gun went off. I don't think I hit anything. I think I've just got flash burns. I'm like, well, let's get your waders and your pants off. and Let's check out and see what happened. And so peel his waders off. Yeah. There's definitely a hole where you really don't want there to be a bullet hole. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Pull, pull his jeans down, and there's, yep, there's still a hole there, too. And get to his boxers, get his boxers down. And the guy's like, so so what do you see? And these, these are my words. I said, 
Yeah, sorry, mate. You got him. And oh. he, he had shot himself through the shaft of the penis. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, you know, you feel bad for the guy because he's not doing anything wrong. And he's just out having a good time fishing after he'd had a really bad day at home. Got so much worse. You lose your job, you lose your girlfriend, and then you shoot yourself in the penis. It's like, (laughs) I don't think you can write a country song any worse than that. No, (laughs) I don't don't think that song will get much airplay. I think people hear it once and never want to hear that song again. (laughs) Exactly. So, So, was there enough to reconstruct? Was the. that's the interesting piece is because it was such close proximity, the bullet didn't have a chance to do anything. And so it literally went through and through. And the exit wound wasn't horrendous. It was just two little circles went through. Now he missed his urethra. Oh my God. He could still pee. Wow. Yeah. You know, sex might be an interesting question at this stage, but you could still pee. You're not peeing out of a bag and you're not peeing sideways, you know? That's yeah, that's lucky enough right there. That's, that's, I mean, that's huge. You know, but um all the unlucky yeah, things. They came in and debrided it oh, and took care of it. And of course I didn't follow up after that because the ER that's you know, we treat them and street them, whether the streets up the hall to the OR med surge or out the door. And but that's probably one of the I don't know if comical is the right word, but <laughs> tragically <laughs> <No>. comical. <laughs> You you walk out going, man, I'm glad that wasn't me. I don't ever want to pack a gun anymore. No, yeah, I would be very cautious of that in the future. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that was a while. And then after that night, we went out and went dip netting and caught like, I don't know, 100 fish in the net that next day. So, or that next morning, (laughs) right after work. So, you know, we had a blast. It wasn't a big deal to us. (laughs) <laughs> took care of it moved on did the alaska thing put fish in the freezer uh, <laughs> oh yeah we don't uh texas there's a lot of people that carry guns but i've yet to have somebody get shot there although i do facial surgery so uh-huh there, there's probably like stuff like that happening i just don't know about it thank- thankfully <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we've had plenty of the gsws to the face i mean you know suicide stuff and that's a lot of what we get here. Not obviously not the, the, the gang stuff, you know, the knife and gun club, so to speak. And most of our gunshot wounds are they're hunting parties or somebody's cleaning a gun. I know I had one, one time where a couple of old guys were out hunting for moose out in the woods. And one was walking single file in front of the other. And he happened to trip over a stick and leaned forward. And behind him, I don't know why he was carrying his gun this way, but his buddy shot him in the back. His trigger got caught on a stick and shot him. And how the angle was just perfect enough to where it went in and rode up his rib cage and popped out about his shoulder. And it didn't go inside, didn't hit any organs. It just stayed superficial. And, you know, guy came to the ER, got checked out. I think he was gone in an hour, hour and a half. Wow. You know, lucky so. people up there in Alaska. Jeez. <laughs> well, do you remember? Do you remember a few years ago when Dick Cheney was out shooting and he got one of his friends with the buckshot? Yeah. 
a, a year or two after that, I was taking care of a patient, very similar situation out bird shooting. So it was bird shot and one of his friends got him in the face. And so he came to see me and he says, yeah, I got Dick Cheney. <laughs> and it's just, you know, here's this guy that just got shot in the face and luckily it missed his eyes, important structure. So it's just me spending a couple hours getting out a bunch of bird shot out of his face. But I just never forget that, you know, getting Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> getting Dick Cheney. That's kind of funny. Yeah, we've had a few of those up here. We had, you know, at one point somebody shot somebody through a shower. They were cleaning the gun out on the bed in the hotel room. The gun went off <laughs> through the wall. Wow. Hit the guy in the shower. You know, that caused some pretty big problems with the guy that got shot. I think it caused problems for both of them, honestly. But yeah, a, a lot of our injuries are due to people cleaning their guns. You know, mm-hmm. ankles getting shot up, hands getting shot up. You know, it's so for the most part, we get it kind of stabilized and taken care of and they i think most of them do fairly well you know like it's typical but nothing too exciting from the knife and gun club yeah we uh one thing you learn is that humans make poor choices sometimes and you know just not (laughs) checking your weapon before you clean it not doing the appropriate protocol i do a lot of rock climbing and every serious rock climbing injury is purely human error yeah gear is great the gear is not going to fail but somebody loops a rope wrong or doesn't tie the knot right or just just a quick little error. So I'm a big fan of double checking everything. Yeah, there's there's the uh, the famous ER phrases. What made you think that was a gonna be a good idea? <laughs> you know, or the proverbial, "Hey, hold my beer." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I go do something stupid, you know. So, yeah, there's there's that stuff. Kind of another bear attack story. Like I said, it gets dark and drizzly sometimes in the summertime. And uh, and there's bears on the river. So if there's a river that's got salmon in it, there's going to be bears down there. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, they don't bother you. Like, I've been fishing in the middle of the river and literally look up as I'm changing my fly and there's a bear 10 feet away from me. You know, my wife is on the bank. Obviously not telling me there's a bear 10 feet in front of me <laughs> because I look up and I'm like, what the, where did you come from? You know, and the, the bear got out of the way. I you know, stayed out of his way. And so in this situation, somebody wanted to go see a bear and they went to a place. that's kind of a canyon, even darker. It was drizzly again. And, you know, you, you don't go out after dark on a salmon stream if you don't have protection or a group without that protection because you might run into to a bear and sure enough this person was down on the riverbank and found a bear i think they got closer than they wanted to and it chewed up her head a little bit broke one of her arms you know mostly puncture wounds but when they grab a hold they'll they broke structure you know but again it's more like just staying aware Kind of to your point of paying attention, you know, double checking, paying attention to detail, tie the knots right, you know, be aware of where you're at. And yeah, they're, they're big brown fuzzy things, but it's not like watching the commercials or the movies on TV, like Yellowstone, you you don't go pet the buffalo. We see plenty of, you know, what happens there. Well, 
you don't try to find a bear on a river either without having a bunch of people with you. No, I think people have gotten disconnected from nature. I don't, I don't think the modern person understands nature doesn't care. You know, yeah. it's not warm. It's not fuzzy. I follow an Instagram account called nature is metal. Uh-huh. And it basically just proves that point over and over. It's just nature's wild. I mean, even things that are omnivores or like herbivores, they will protect their own. They will like uh-huh. a moose. It'll, it'll stomp you dead if you're not careful. It'll run you over. The, uh, we had a moose out behind our house. My son was probably seven and my daughter was four. And they got outside and there was a moose. It was acting aggressive, you know, put their ears back, ran toward him. My, my son had taken a, an outdoors class and said, if a moose is charging, you get behind a tree. Well, there weren't any trees close to where we were, so we went and hid behind the four by four post of our lean to attached to our shop. <laughs> and so you got telling his four year old sister, just get behind me, get behind me. And so here comes this big moose, you know, getting ready to charge at a seven year old, you know, and they're big. And my wife saw it and got out there and beat a pan around and scared the, the moose off. But, you know, it's, they're big and they're dangerous and it doesn't matter if it's a moose. It doesn't matter if it's a bear down there. It's, you know, we got mountain lions down Idaho and Utah got moose and you got some black bears down there too. You know, it's, it's definitely wild up here, you know, and there's, there's things you have to to pay attention to and you don't want to get hurt out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. We're only Uh, top of the food chain because of our technology, but hand to hand person to animal, (laughs) we lose. I mean, every time. I've seen people get messed up to kind of come to the ER just because of a house cat got angry. So, yeah. you know, a little 10 pound house cat will mess you up, let alone a wild creature. <laughs> that, that's definitely the case. So, yeah, they're not forgiving either. You know, no. they, they'll, they'll mess you up quick. <laughs> oh, you can deal with humans. You can fight a human off, but once a bear gets going. Nothing you can do. Yeah, you just curl up in the fetal position with a brown bear and hope it doesn't grab you by the neck and shake you all over the place. Oh. Now, when you look back at just different jobs that you've had in nursing, managing things, uh, we've focused some on the, on the animal attacks and some of the gun stuff, but any other cases that just stick out to you or moments that you find yourself telling people over and over about? Yeah, I've, I had one, you know, years ago and it was a teenager that came in and I still, to this day, remember them walking through the doors of the hospital saying, Oh yeah, that you know, looks like the flu. And, um, they walk in and I was taking, I was on the critical care side. That was where my assignment was. And they had put this young lady in kind of the subacute phase where, yeah, you're sick. You got general malaise, your flu like symptoms. It's usually not going to be anything. We're going to maybe do some lab tests and x-ray, send you home. And, uh, they'd put her on that side doing my thing. And all of a sudden she's on my side. I'm like, well, that's kind of odd because she walked in and what had happened is they'd done some blood work and she had elevated potassium, like oh, 6.3, 6.2, uh, which is very high. And before too long, she codes and she started, you know, decompensating, decompensating and we were all there in the room when it happened. And, uh, you know, you work on a, a teenager who looked fairly normal when they walked in the door 
come to find out they had a hematologist down in the lab looking at a smear ended up sound like it was like leukemia an acute leukemia patient but uh she coded on us and we were not able to get her back and it wasn't a you know we all er nurses were all pretty rough and tumble we could handle the hard stuff you know we, we see a lot of that all the time but at this stage the parent told us to stop because she that individual had been in there they could see what we were doing they knew we had done everything that we could they knew that it was over and they gave us the permission to stop and that was kind of surreal in that situation because it's usually us that are calling that shot mm-hmm. you know particularly the doctor and the nurses and a lot of times they'll stop and say okay we're not getting anywhere. Does anybody else have any suggestions, recommendations, or ideas about what we can do here before we call a code? And in this case, we were just going because you, you tend to go longer on kids. doesn't matter if they're five or 15 or 20 or 30, you know, they're, they're young people. They got a life ahead of them. And yeah, you know, the parent called it. She's like, okay, you guys can stop now. It's okay. And she was there. She saw the entire thing, the entire process. Saw the daughter lose a heartbeat. Saw us start CPR. Saw us put in central lines. Saw us do all of this stuff. And she called it. And all of us just, you kind of have a pause when it's over. Kind of look at each other. You kind of swallow stuff and say, okay, in your mind, you're going over. Did I do everything I needed to do? Was it a good case for me? Did we follow the process? You know, you kind of going through the technical aspect of your code right in the immediacy of the aftermath. And then the parent called their spouse and while they're on the phone, they're talking and they said, yeah, we lost her. And the room vacated immediately of healthcare staff. (laughs) The parents stayed in the room. We were gone and we were all crying. And to this day, I, I can still walk through that entire scenario from literally seeing that individual walk through the front doors of the ER, get put in their room originally, and then I remember the code and then everything that happened after that. And it's one of those cases where you ask why. You know, it's, This makes no sense because you probably got somebody three doors down that's crying for an egg salad sandwich or a turkey sandwich, and they could care less that you're running a code three doors down. They just want a sandwich. But yeah, that's that's a that was a tough one, you know. And there are things you do to debrief. This was before we debriefed, you know. We didn't really believe in debriefing back then. We probably should have. But just you stuff all these skeletons in a closet, and at some point that closet falls open, and all of this stuff can come pouring out. And if you've got good friends around you, you've got people that kind of know what you're doing. And unless you've been through those trials, it doesn't matter who it is; they're not going to understand what you're going through. And it's a little different. So, yeah, I'll go home and talk to my wife about stuff and kind of some things that I've seen. But it's not the same as talking to your coworkers that were just went through the same battle with you and how you're handling that stuff. But that, that's one of the crazy ones. We had another one that really had kind of a cool backstory. Right before I started in ER, when my first first ER job, we had a mom come in on the ambulance and she was dead. But she was pregnant, very pregnant. And so they did a post-mortem C-section and the baby survived, got him up to the nursery. You know, fair. I mean, obviously 
premature, but still did fairly well. So fast forward 18 months and they come in with a respiratory condition and there's literally six or seven of them. They start to decompensate and little kids for those that don't know, they maintain really, really well. You know, they hold up high, they hold up high, they hold up high and then they're done and they crash. And when they drop, they drop quick. And this little girl, we worked on them, worked on them, put an IV in, and then went down to the OR to do the intubation where we put a breathing tube down their throat. And she held it. And my only job was to hold an oxygen mask over her face. That's all I was doing. And holding the side of the gurney and making sure it got down to the OR. And right as we get to the OR doors, we blast them open because she went from maintaining her oxygen to not. And she dumped that quick, got her in there and grabbed her off of the gurney in the ER, their ER gurney, put her on the bed. And all of a sudden, one of the doctors just starts slamming medication so that we can sedate her, get her, you know, put down so that we can intubate her. And um, they started doing suction and out came a bunch of pus and blood and just like, oh my gosh, like, this is awful. And put the tube in and the room calms down and you're like, oh, wow, like, what just happened? You know, in the span of like 15 minutes, it's this super high adrenaline kick and you're running literally down the hall to the OR because you know you got to get there quick because she's about to tank. And then she tanks it. Probably the, I don't know, best possible time because you're right at the doors. And, you know, anesthesiologist, we had ENT there ready in case they had to do a trach. You know, it was just a super high intensity situation that everybody was trained. You did your job. You did it right. And we got the kid taken care of, you know. But, again, it's one of those stories that you just, it's kind of surreal because it happens so quick. And then you go back and look at it. You still remember conversations in the in the room at the bedside before all this stuff happens. You remember all the people and where they sat in the OR as you got there and where you were, and it just sticks, you know. And, and that was a happy ending. You know, we we did our job. We kept them alive, you know. The proverbial "they didn't die on my shift" type of a thing. And, and so, you know, that was the same kid that was taken out of the mother that had passed away eighteen months yeah. before. And yeah, what, eighteen months before, I think she was eighteen, twenty months old at that stage. Yeah, and what was? Do you know? Do you remember what happened? Like, why was there pus? Was there? The, um, yeah, she what they call bacterial tracheitis. So there was just an airway infection that I hadn't seen. I haven't seen since. That's my first and only case of that that I've seen. You know, and it's just it's it's crazy stuff. You just don't, you know, you'll see stuff once. And then you don't ever see it again. It is interesting to hear you talk about one story that didn't that didn't end well and the story that did end well, but they're both traumatic. Like it doesn't really, just because something ends maybe on a positive note, didn't make the experience less traumatic to go through. Because sometimes we'll just dismiss that because there was a happy ending. But that's a, that's a big roller coaster ride to... Yeah remember and to, and to have, you know, so thank goodness it was a good outcome, but you still carry that. Whew, that yeah. Like I got out of that one, you know, versus the patient you get up from the, 
bed and put them on the bedside commode and you know they go to to poop and all of a sudden like oh i don't feel good or you hear the phone ring out the desk and you're like oh that's not a good call i know that's gonna be bad and you get the guy back in bed and sure enough he codes on you you know moral of the story don't ever let somebody poop (laughs) if they're not if they've had chest pain (laughs) it's usually a bad sign (laughs) you know yeah takes more effort than you'd think, especially for people that are unhealthy to begin with. Yeah. You know, literally he <laughs> kills yourself in certain situations, you know, on, on the toilet. But yeah, you know, back to the trauma, it, it's, we, we tell people here all the time. And even in the oncology department, we think we see things that people shouldn't see, you know, and I'm sure Dave, you do too. And you're back in the OR whether it's picking pellets out of somebody's face or, or whatever the case may be, there's just stuff that we see that people shouldn't have to see, you know, but that's our job. And that's, you know, I still love trauma. I still love STEMIs. You know, those are my two favorite things to deal with in the ER. You know, it's good pictures and lots of procedures usually, you know, and interesting stuff and you got to use your brain, you know? So I guess kind of a funny story. We had a guy come in. I don't even remember what he came in for, but I had to take him over to CAT scan. And he was this kind of aggressive personality. He was a little bit off and you could tell. And and so we got back over to CT and he looks at me. He's like, can you take it like a Marine? And I'm like, what? Can I take what like a Marine? He's like, can you take it like a Marine? And I'm like, huh? And out of nowhere, a full-on open hand slap <coughs> to the face. And then he looks at me, he's like, you can take it like a Marine. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, I'm just out of the blue. Just out of the blue. Just, yeah, I don't know of anybody probably in medicine anymore that hasn't been assaulted at least once. Yeah. Or it's a close call or somebody attempted, but they at least avoided it. But you know, we, we try to give people grace because they're having a bad day or they're in an abnormal situation or they're not in their right mind, but it's still scary. That stuff sticks with you too. And then you're, you're always a little on edge after that with every patient afterwards or a situation that reminds you of it. You're just You're just not quite as comfortable in that situation. Some things are good. You learn to be closer to the door. You learn to like position yourself or if you get those, that kind of like red flag thing where you're not feeling comfortable, it may be involved somebody else earlier. But it just kind of takes away a little bit of vulnerability. Yeah, just or just you know you you really just want to give people the benefit of the doubt and be there to help them and to care for them. And then, but there's that little piece in the back of your head where it's just like, oh, yeah. you got you got to be on guard, which it it does. It makes you jaded a little bit. Makes maybe. you jaded. Yeah, I guess that's it a good. It makes you a lot jaded. Yeah, you know those of us. Have... And it happens across the board in, in nursing. It's not just the ER, the ICU gets it, OB gets it, oncology gets it, you know. And it, it's hard to go back to that. You know, I've I've had friends that have been stabbed by patients, you know, out of the blue. And you're like, where did that come from? Especially after you've had a good rapport with people. And it does. It, it, it You end up losing faith in humanity in some respects because I'm here to help you. You know, you came to me. I didn't invite you to my hospital. <laughs> I didn't send out an RSVP. You know, you can't call and make appointments where I work. You just show up. 
you know, we're doing our best to help you out. And, and some of that is some people aren't in their right mind. And so they can't make those decisions for themselves, but it does get hard, you know, to your point, a little bit of that, for lack of a better term, innocence goes away and you're never the same again. You know, there's always that edge that's there that doesn't go away. But I think, you know, people are becoming more aware of that. Hopefully we'll have some situations in place to help people. Like you said, we used to not do debriefings. Somebody yep. would die traumatically in front of us and we would just go back to work and nobody would ever talk about it ever again. And now they get us together. We talk about it. Um, they ask us how we are. So some things have improved. I remember the first person that died when I was just an EMT, first patient I did CPR on person died and then just everybody just went about their life and just everybody <laughs> left the room and went back to work and were they laughing talking about their weekend plans and I'm just freaking out in the corner because there's a person that was alive now there's a person that's dead and everybody just moved on and I think in today's day and age I would have been like well Dave's new here somebody just died let's bring Dave to the side let's talk to him about his experience and make sure he's doing okay but we didn't do that back then oh. and like, hey, there's uh, somebody needs stitches in room four. Go take care of that. Let's do this. Somebody needs this. And it's just, and then nobody talked about it. Not even at the end of the shift. It wasn't like, hey, let's let's talk about it. It was just, okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> everybody everybody <laughs> okay. show up. Don't call out sick. You know, yeah. we need to be here. I I trained with a great group of nurses up at, up at the hospital I started at up here. And I couldn't have asked for a better situation. I was treated as an equal from the time I walked on the floor, even though I was, I've been a nurse for a year and a half, you know, and I, I had helped cover the ER a little bit, but I hadn't really worked on ER patients. I'd go down and manage held patients for a telemetry unit. And then I would go ask if I could help out. And that's what got my foot in the door. But when I got there, they put me into every situation. They let me make mistakes on my own. They let me learn on my own, but they didn't hang me out to dry. You know, and they would pull me aside. So, okay, next time, maybe look at it this way instead of that way. And, you know, not everybody has that experience. Not everybody gets that opportunity. And I had probably 10 or 12 nurses that I look at, you know, I still remember fondly. Some of them are dead at this stage because I've been a nurse for 20-something years now. But, you know, those lessons still remain. And so we try to take nurses under our arms and, and mentor them now instead of, you know, the proverbial nursing eating their young, you know, that, that doesn't help anybody. No, not at and, all. We need to be our so, biggest supports, you know, like healthcare workers in general, we need to rally around each other and support each other. Cause like you said, very few people understand what goes on except for the people that are in those rooms with us. And so, you know, we need to be the ones that advocate for safer situations more people backing us up. So we have some work to do, but uh, I love all the people that want to go into this field because we, we need everybody we can get. And it really is at the end of the day, even with the trauma, like you said, you still love it. And it's yeah. still, it's a rewarding career. It's a calling for a lot of us. There's nothing we'd rather be doing. We just wish it was a little safer and uh, not so uh, intense at certain situations. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's been a good career for me. I'm, I'm not, I drive a desk these days, you know, but I still get out and do a little bit of patient care here and there. I help out with codes, help out with trauma cases, you know, go up and 
put IVs in moms that are about to have a baby. You know, I mean, so it's still fun to get my hands on it. I, I still enjoy that part of the job, you know, I, but I don't want to do that until I'm 60. You know, and I ask my staff, I say, okay, what's next? Do you want to be pounding the concrete halls of the ER when you're 50? I didn't, you know, what, what can I help you do to not, I don't want them to leave my department, but mm-hmm. you know, what can I help you prepare for the future? Yeah. So that when you are tired of doing this or you just hit that point where, you know what, I can't do this anymore. You know, what do I want to do next? You want to go to quality? Do you want to go to my oncology department? You know, used to be the retirement center for nurses. Not that way anymore. We've grown that to where it's just as busy as anywhere else, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. I think anything but you, you still have burnout, I think, is to our benefit as a society, right? Anything we can do to to help our healthcare workers not experience burnout. And if that means yeah. development or trying other things or moving around, so be it, you know, better than, than them leaving because we need them so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Then you have the good stories and I'll kind of finish up on this one. We uh, had a call from an ambulance. There was a kid playing around a, a construction site and slipped down a hole and there had been a piece of broken PVC sticking up out of the ground. So, and literally this kid impaled himself right next to the rectum up into his colon. And he's a teenager up here all by himself, working for a family friend or relative, whatever it was, for the summer. And just happened to be out doing stuff by himself. He wasn't horsing around, wasn't doing anything stupid. He just got too close to this hole. And I think the sidewall slipped and that happened to be there. But his mom was, you know, four or five states away. And when you're four or five states away from Alaska, you're not going to get up here fast. No, not at all. Not hop in the car and drive two hours. And, you know, you talk to the kid and you say, okay, these are your options. You know, these are the possibilities. Because of the injury, you probably perfed your intestine somehow. And so what they're probably going to have to do is disconnect it bring it to you outside of your stomach and you had your gill of poop in a bag for a little while. Let all of that stuff heal. And then in six, eight weeks, you're going to go back to the operating room. They'll put it all back together and provided everything works out good. You'll be just fine. You're not going to know the difference. And this kid was absolutely terrified through the whole thing, you know, understandably IV start. I'm here all by myself. Where's my mom at? You know, so part of what we did was we got mom on the phone and she's terrified. You know, she's scared because her kid's hurt. He's hurt pretty good. Got to go have this kind of a big operation. In some ways, we kind of simplify it to make it not sound that risky and that big of a deal. But it's a pretty big deal when you're going in and taking the test on and making a colostomy and then you got to put it back together later on. You know, aside from the body image and all of the other things that people go through with that kind of a procedure. So I had the mom on the phone and had the kid on the phone and, you know, you're able to build those relationships in a short amount of time, provided that you allow it to happen. You know, as ER nurses, I tell people I've lived on yes, ma'am and yes, sir. No, ma'am and no, sir. For my entire ER career, there are very few people that I still call by their names after I've taken care of them, unless they're like friends or whatever. Because the goal is to not make that connection. 
you're still a good nurse and you're still compassionate and empathetic and technically smart and competent, but you don't develop those relationships because you know they break that fast. You want them in, you want them out. You don't want them wanting to stay there. And so in this case, I was able to talk to this mom from several thousand miles away and, and she's crying and the kids cry and trying to put it. It's like, it's okay. We've got good surgeons. We've got good doctors. We've got good people here. We'll take really good care of your son. I promise. You know, this is what's going to happen. You lay it out for the mom, explain it to her. She understands it. And then she's going to hop on a plane and get up here as quick as possible. You know, the evening goes by, send the kid back to the OR. Exactly what I thought would happen, happened. The doctor had explained the same stuff. Kid goes up to the floor. He's doing well. I go home and I go to bed. You know, end of the shift. And then come back the next night, do the shift again. Somebody yells at me, says, hey, there's somebody out front that wants to talk to you. Actually, I think this was two days later. So I'm going, well, who wants to talk to me? And they told me the person's name. I'm going, well, the only person by that name I know is up in Acres right now. I don't, I don't know anybody by that name. So I, whatever, walk out. And as the doors open, here comes this person that I have never seen before. And he just puts me in this bear hug that I'm like, oh, hey. And then it dawns on me who it is. It was the mother of that patient that I'd taken care of a couple of nights before. And she's crying. And I'm like, you're okay. It's all right. <laughs> it's awkward kind of a deal, you know? And uh, she was so grateful for the time that got spent and for the explanation that was given and the reassurances, you know, because as a mom from a long ways away and now being a parent, I could imagine that happened to one of my kids. And you have to rely on complete strangers to take care of them. She was so appreciative, you know, that she took the time to come find me. She remembered my name. Which, you know, usually doesn't happen unless, you know, you don't want it to. <laughs> totally they really remember your name. You know, and so times like that, it makes it worth it. You know, it makes you, it makes you want to come back and say, okay, I did something good today besides give somebody a turkey sandwich. You know, or deal with some psych patient that I have very little tolerance for. Or I got yelled at or spit on or peed on or. Somebody threw poop at me that day, you know, whatever, you know, and you get these times where a little bit of you opens up and you're able to develop that relationship. And that's the reward that you get. Have I heard from anything, heard anything from them since? No. Do I expect to? No. But I knew that I did my job and I knew I did it well. And I knew that it got recognized and it made a big difference in that family's life. And that's the stuff you come back for. Yeah, there's the adrenaline rush from the trauma and the STEMIs and your critical care patients. But as an ER nurse, you just don't get many opportunities like that. No. And they go a long, long ways. And it's been 13, 14 years ago. And kind of like that code with that teenager that walked in. I remember almost everything about that room. I remember the conversation. I remember where the mom was when she, when the doors opened up and she come running at me, you know, you know, so it's, it's really cool that the memories we get, it's tough, the stuff that we have to see, but most of us put ourselves in that situation because we want to do it. You know, it's not, nobody's, 
twisted my arm behind my back to to make me go work in the ER. You know, I applied for that job. I did all the training. That's what we're trained to do. We're trained to deal with that stuff. Yeah, definitely. And that's the fun part. Yeah. It's a great story to wrap things up on, kind of summed everything up. So I appreciate you coming on, Shane. Appreciate you yeah. for what you do and all the patients, patients you've cared for over the years. And thank you for sharing your stories with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And uh, if you ever come back to Alaska, give me a ring. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.